Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the Ability Network podcast series of UBS. I'm Harper Spiro, a business coach, consultant, podcast host, and writer. After spending the first 27 years of my life hiding my rare immune deficiency, I started writing and sharing my story. In 2018, I launched Made Visible, a 100-episode podcast featuring stories of people living with or affected by invisible illness. In sharing my story and supporting others to do the same, it helped those living with invisible illnesses feel seen while also raising visibility of the issue for people who hadn't even considered invisible illnesses before as they didn't feel directly affected by it. On today's episode of the Ability Network podcast series, I'm speaking with Rachel Wilson. Rachel is a regulatory and investigations analyst with UBS Regulatory Employee Conduct Team in Group Investigations. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. So happy to have you here and be the first guest. I'm very happy to be here. Let's dig right in. How do you spend your time personally and professionally? Professionally, I am a regulatory and investigations analyst with UBS's Regulatory Employee Conduct Team and Group Investigations. I respond to inquiries from the firm's regulators related to individual employee conduct, such as discipline and termination. I've been with UBS for seven years, and prior to joining UBS, I worked as a litigation paralegal. Personally, I spend my time traveling in the United States and abroad. I'm looking forward to a road trip in Scotland next summer. And I love to write novels, listen to music, and spend time with family and friends. I love it. So let's dig into the health side of things. Sure. You were diagnosed with Cushing's disease in 2008. Can you tell me a bit more about what led to that diagnosis? Absolutely. So in 2007, I started gaining weight. It wasn't just one or two pounds here or there. It was lots of weight within a short period of time. And at the time, I was physically active, kickboxing, hiking, Zumba, all these things. And I tried to eat as healthy as possible, but it didn't matter. I was still gaining weight. Also, at the time, I was experiencing weird, seemingly unrelated things like cluster migraines, abdominal swelling, purple stretch marks, horrible mood swings and depression, acne, and all of these things were happening. And again, didn't seem related and I had no clue what to do. All I knew was that I was miserable. My primary care physician dismissed me. I gained close to like 100 pounds or something in eight months. I went to several specialists and no one had any idea what was happening to me. Finally, my mother suggested that I see an endocrinologist. And given my experience with doctors at the time, i didn't want to go. I didn't want to pay another copay, but my mother begged me to go and she promised me that this doctor was really good. This doctor had helped her and my brother with endocrine issues. So I went and um, as soon as she walked in the door, she did this kind of gasp thing and said, I think I know what's wrong with you, which was the first time anyone had ever hinted that they had any idea what was happening to me. She did some tests to confirm her suspicions and called me at work two days later and said that I had Cushing syndrome and that they needed to do more tests to confirm what was causing it. 
So over the next two months, I was in and out of the doctor's office trying to figure out what kind of Cushing's I had. And I was officially diagnosed with pituitary-dependent Cushing's disease in November 2008. So can you explain what the diagnosis was and how it affects your life? I think it is called pituitary-dependent Cushing's disease, which meant that I had a tumor on my pituitary gland. I was told it was benign, but just because it was benign does not mean that it is safe or that it doesn't threaten my life or my health. And in order for them to prove that it was pituitary dependent, they had to isolate all of my hormones and see where the hormones were coming from. Was it my adrenal glands? Was it my pituitary gland? But what happened after pituitary dependent, and they knew that I had a tumor on my pituitary gland that was kind of running the show, and it was affecting not only my cortisol levels and making my cortisol levels too high, but it was also making all this other stuff happen in my body. So they had to uh, remove it. And the only way that they can do that is with brain surgery. And so I had brain surgery in December 2008. They went up through my nose and took the pituitary tumor out. At that time, they didn't mess with the pituitary gland. They didn't want to cut into the pituitary gland because it's such an important part of the human body and how it functions. So they didn't want to disturb it. But it was enough at the time for the cortisol levels to drop and for them to think, okay, we've gotten it all. But about 10 months after that surgery, I started gaining weight again, started having all these crazy symptoms. I go back to the endocrinologist and they're like, yep, Cushing's in spec, which means that there was maybe one tiny tumor cell that was left behind and now it's repopulated and it's causing the issues again. They ended up having to remove my pituitary gland and that's as drastic as you can imagine. So now that they removed my pituitary gland, the Cushing's went away, but all my other hormones went away. So now, and for the rest of my life, I'm faced with having to supplement all of those natural hormones that I don't make. So I have to take a lot of medications, some of which can be very, very expensive, and I have to take them for the rest of my life. And also, I still have to see my endocrinologist because there's no cure for Cushing's disease. They can take out the tumor, they can take out my pituitary gland, but it could still come back. So I'm constantly being monitored and will be monitored for the rest of my life to make sure it doesn't recur. It's so fascinating to hear what a surgery can do and the impact it can have where there's benefits to it and then obviously drawbacks. Mm -hmm. But earlier you mentioned the word trust, and I think it's such an important one when it's related to invisible illness and disability. And you talked about trusting your mom because your mom trusted this doctor. Yep. What has your experience been like in recent years related to trust and doctors and advocating for yourself to get what you need, knowing your body and knowing what feels right and wrong? That's a really good question. It's honestly been a battle for me to trust doctors. As you can imagine, not having any natural hormones means that I can get sick a lot. And I can have a lot of medical issues that require emergency treatment. 
and even emergency physicians that see all kinds of things and know that like, oh, wait, if you don't have cortisol in your body, you can get really sick and you can die. It's not enough for triage teams and you know, emergency room staff to appropriately flag me. So I've been left in like waiting rooms for eight hours, trying my best not to die and waiting for an emergency room physician to finally go, oh, hey, wait a minute, this is an actual emergency and we need to treat her. So I've had issues in emergency rooms. Emergency rooms are my least favorite place to be. And it's very scary for me, but also just my regular doctors finding, you know, a primary care physician that understands the complexity of just the baseline for my body now and the baseline for my health. That's been really hard. Now I finally have one and I trust her with my life and she knows that and she takes that responsibility seriously and she listens to me. I have a great endocrinologist that follows up with me and can deal with me because I do have that distrust. So whenever she gives me an answer that I don't like, I tend to kind of fight back. And at first that was a problem. She didn't like that. She didn't like that I did my own research into figuring out what was happening to my body. But now after 10 years of treating me, we've kind of come into like this easy part of our relationship where we've compromised with one another and she trusts me and I trust her. So thankfully I'm finally at a place where I have doctors that I trust, but it's always an issue for me. Like if there's something else going on with me and I need to see a specialist, the like last thing that I want to do is rehash 14 years of medical history to someone that has no idea what Cushing's is and no idea what these hormones are that really make or break life and like thriving in life for me. So it's something I struggle with to this day. I relate to that so, so much. And it makes me think of a time I have a doctor that I love and swear by and trust. And I know how much she cares for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember being out of state for a training program. And I woke up one morning with fever and just didn't feel myself. And I called my doctor and I said, what do I do? Should I go to the ER? And she said, absolutely not. Get back to New York, come to my hospital, because your condition is so rare. No one in that ER is going to know what to do with you. And I was so appreciative of her for knowing what the ER situation is like in a place where they don't have access to your medical records and they don't know your story and you're so rare. So I really, really get that. And it's so, so helpful to find those people that you love and trust and believe in you. And I love that you advocate for yourself and that you found a way to find an in-between of, I'm going to do the research, I'm going to learn, and we can discuss, you know, who decides what, but we're in this together. So tell us about how you maintain your illness on a daily basis. What does that look like? So it can be difficult, you know, now that my pituitary gland no longer works, that's a condition in and of itself called panhypopituitarism. Say that three times too fast, right? I have to replace all of my pituitary hormones. So that's thyroid, female hormones, growth hormone. I have to take daily steroid replacement, 
which replaces my cortisol levels. And when I say that I have to take daily steroids, most people shudder like, ew, steroids. But to me, they are literally the difference between life and death. So maintaining my steroid level is crucial for me. And I have to be very careful of situations that can deplete my steroid and cortisol levels, like physical, emotional, and psychological stressors. I am now considered immunocompromised, and I have to be very mindful of other people. If someone in the office has a cold or the flu, I will get it. And I take a bunch of vitamins to try to boost my health as much as possible, but it's still a struggle for me to stay as healthy as possible. Yeah, it's a lot to do, and it's a lot to maintain on top of your personal life and your work and just wanting to be a quote unquote normal person. What role does stress play in your life? Oh man, when I talk about stress, I want to be very clear that I'm not talking about, oh, my work is so busy kind of stress. I'm talking about the most basic kind of stressors, you know, as I just mentioned, physical, emotional, psychological. So illnesses that stress the body, even something as simple as the common cold affect me greatly. Last week I had bronchitis and I really struggled just maintaining my hormone levels and not going into what's called an adrenal crisis, which is something that can happen to me very easily. An adrenal crisis is the body going into shock from not having enough steroid to live, to survive. And if I'm not treated in an emergency room and treated quickly, my blood pressure drops, I go into shock and I can die. So it's something that's kind of always in the back of my head, like, okay, if I don't maintain this environment and keep my stressors as low as possible, and I'm not quick enough to supplement my cortisol to allow for those stressors, I can get into a very bad situation that I can't get out of. So it's something that I constantly have to consider when making decisions on, am I going to travel to this place? Am I going to attend this concert? How do I physically feel? I've had to become comfortable with canceling plans. And my friends have had to become comfortable with that. Like when I say I'm not feeling well, they know what that means now. So that's something that I've had to consider when maintaining my health and maintaining my stress levels. When a normal person, their endocrine system says, okay, we have this issue. We're going to need more cortisol to get through it. The pituitary gland comes into play. Adrenal gland goes, okay. And they give you more cortisol to manage those levels. My body doesn't do that. So I really have to figure out how much steroid do I need to get through whatever I'm going through? It's not an exact science. And so many times I don't get it right. So it's still something even 14 years out with dealing with this that I still don't get right most of the time. You know, one of the interesting things that's coming up for me about this is in managing a health issue, you suddenly have to become this like science and math and medical expert, which you did not sign up for. And there's so much that you have to learn for yourself. But you brought up that your friends now know what it means when you're not well. What got them to that point of understanding? And was there a certain language that you used with them to help educate them? 
in the early years of my illness, I lost a lot of friends simply because they couldn't reconcile this new me with the old me. Old me, I could go to Paris on a whim and like walk 14,000 steps a day and just wake up the next day and do it again. I can't do that anymore. I can still do some of those things that I used to do, but I just had to make accommodations for it. So a lot of my friends struggled with that and those friendships just kind of naturally died out. But also when those friendships naturally died out, that allowed other friendships that I still have today that have been with me long-term to grow. And so as part of that and deepening those friendships that I was able to keep during this process, it allowed me to have these deep conversations with them. Listen, this is what I'm dealing with. Here's where I keep my emergency steroid. Here's where I keep my emergency injections. If I pass out, if I start getting stomach upset, you're going to have to take me to the nearest emergency room. I keep like a little card in my wallet that has the instructions. So if I'm away and I can't go to my local hospital that kind of sort of understands what to do with me, they have a card. So they know where to find the card. They know where to find the medicine. They know how much medicine to give me. And they also have my mom's so she can coach them through what to do if something like that happens. So I've had to cultivate those friendships very much so. And now they take my word for it when I say I'm not feeling well and that going to this concert or going on this trip or going hiking is going to push me over my limit. They understand. And I'm very lucky to have friendships like that. That's huge. I mean, obviously, very unfortunate to lose friends for you dealing with something out of your control. But to have these people who get it and support you and are there for you is major. How does this impact your experience in the workplace and dealing with your managers and colleagues? I am very lucky. I have to say, working at UBS, UBS gives a lot of sick time and a lot of vacation time and personal days. So that's huge to someone like me who sometimes wakes up and knows, okay, today is going to be one of those days and I'm not going to be able to function properly. And also UBS has kind of cultivated this culture where if I'm working and I'm halfway through my work day and I realize that I'm going to have a problem with my illness or I'm not feeling great, or my cortisol suddenly drops, which it is prone to do, I can have a conversation with my manager who also has an email that he stored, I think, that has all of the details of what's wrong with me, what has to happen if I get sick while I'm at work. My coworkers, when I'm in the office, they've also been schooled, so they know what they have to do and who they have to call. So I'm very lucky to work at a place like UBS that allows for someone like me to work, but also take care of themselves. And in the past, when I worked at other employers, I wasn't that lucky. Like I would get maybe 10 PTO days, and that's supposed to include your vacation and your sick time, which that's just impossible for someone like me to manage. So I'm very lucky to be at UBS and at a company that 
understands that people need time off to rest. And unfortunately for me, sometimes that means taking my vacation days to just rest, you know, as like a mental health day, so to speak. But again, I'm very lucky to be able to go to my management and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. I need to rest. And it's not questioned. I value that very much. That's one of the biggest non-stressors in my life to know that I can go to a manager and tell them, hey, I can't finish the workday because of this and I'm allowed to take time for me. That's massive. I'm so thrilled to hear that you have that. Can you talk about what that process was like in going to your manager initially and your coworkers and writing that email so that they had the tools to be able to support you? Because I can't imagine that was easy. It wasn't easy. As you can probably guess, you know, having to fight doctors and advocate for myself and manage a serious chronic illness that's never going to go away, it's very hard for me to be vulnerable because I just kind of want to fight the world, you know, like listen to me. So it was very hard for me to be vulnerable enough to write an email to my manager and reveal to my employer that, hey, I have this chronic illness. I don't consider myself disabled, but I do have a limited ability sometimes is how I try to phrase that because I don't want to claim to be disabled. And so it was really hard for me to open myself up to my employer knowing that I have this and that I don't have a great history with employers treating me well, right? Like right after I had my first brain surgery, I was laid off because of the time that I had to take to heal. And that was a huge blow to me. And it's a trauma that I still kind of feel like every time I get sick or every time I have to go to an employer and say, hey, this is what happens to me and I might have to take some time off and I might have to go to a lot of doctor's appointments, which I have to do. So I was very scared to open up to my employer about this, but that was five years ago and they support me. And like I said, they give me the time off to rest if I need it. They give me the time to go to doctor's appointments. I'm not questioned about that. I'm glad that I was able to be as vulnerable and have a great response because the truth of the matter is that not everyone gets that great response. So I know that I'm very lucky to have an employer like I do. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the word immunocompromised earlier and recognizing that you are immunocompromised. One of the benefits that came out of the COVID-19 pandemic is how many people started to become aware of what that term meant and what it actually meant to people that they loved and cared about, whether it's colleagues, friends, family members, so I'm wondering what impact do you feel this work from home, remote, hybrid situation, how has that benefited you given your health and your situation? It has been wonderful. In a work from home environment, I'm in more control of my surroundings. I can work in low light, which helps with my migraines, which never went away after I had Cushing's. I still deal with those. Um, I have a nice desk an ergonomic chair, all my medicines are right here. Like, I wish I could pan the camera. You could see my stack of medicines. That's right there. 
And I'm not as exposed when I'm working from home to the kinds of colds and flus and bugs that tend to circulate through the office. So I stay healthier during the pandemic. I never got COVID. I had a two and a half year break of having bronchitis and the flu, which are two things that I almost always get when working in the office. We haven't been required to go back full time because I think most companies, including UBS, are realizing that the pandemic changed a lot of things, not only for companies, but also for the workers themselves. And so I get to work from home three days a week and go into the office two days a week. If I need to change that, I have the ability to have that conversation with my manager to change that. So it has been crucial to me in managing my illness. I've never felt more stable or healthy than I have during the pandemic, which is kind of crazy to say. That's a really crazy thought, but it really makes a lot of sense. And I'm so glad that you have that. What do you wish that employers outside of UBS, within UBS, knew about invisible illness? I have seen a shift in these last 14 years of people understanding that not everything has to be like something that you can see, right? So I have noticed a huge shift in that, but obviously there's always still work to do. I've seen some policies and stuff that come into play about time off and taking the time that you need to manage an illness. And a lot of companies are finally seeing, okay, like we've got to have critical care insurance policies for our employees. We need to have not only long-term disability if someone has an illness, but we also have to have short-term disability. We need to have more time off. And if it's like a company that has a bucket of PTO days, we need to be more generous with the PTO. I think those are things that employers at large need to understand that, yeah, you can pay me X amount of money and the money's great. I'm not going to deny that money is great and is crucial to me thriving, but time off also is really important to me. And still to this day, not a lot of employers offer as much time off as UBS does. So that's a huge benefit that I'm very lucky to have by working at UBS. But I wish employers at large realized just how important that is to the workforce. But sadly, not a lot of employers recognize that. So there's still work to be done there. How do you think that coworkers and managers can be more supportive of employees living with invisible illnesses if it's not something that they personally are affected by or don't know other people that navigate them so they don't really know what to do? Uh, yeah, so the, the but you don't look sick phenomenon. Um, I have been subjected to that time and time again, most of the time unwittingly, right? You know, people just say things and don't realize the impact that those words have on someone like me. And I'm going to be really vulnerable here. You know, it's very hard for me. That's one of the things like 14 years into managing an invisible illness, I tend to try to think of myself as like this seasoned war vet kind of thing. But then from time to time, when you hear people 
question your reality because they can't see it for themselves and they have no point of reference in their own lives for dealing with something like I have to do, they can be unwittingly callous about things. You know, the but you don't look sick or not understanding that, yes, something like a cold can take me out very quickly. And so if I have to not come into the office for one week because I'm dealing with trying to manage my cortisol levels and my health levels and also trying to get rid of a cold, that's something that I have to do. If I have a stomach virus, I mean, something that a normal person can just take the weekend and then they're like fit as a fiddle and ready to go back to work. My reality is much different than that. And I have had to school coworkers and colleagues on, hey, I say I have this invisible illness, which means I have an invisible illness. There's a quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like when people tell you who they are, believe them. And I think colleagues and line managers, not necessarily at UBS, but just generally could be more sensitive to that and just accept at face value when someone says that they have what I have or they have any other, I mean, there's so many diseases, invisible and not invisible that people deal with every day. You know, when they tell you that they have this and this is what they struggle with and these are the accommodations that they have to make in order to survive this, believe them. Sounds simple, but it's not. Thank you for being vulnerable. I appreciate you sharing that and for taking the time to talk to me about this because it's such an important topic. And I think you sharing your story allows for more people to become educated and be more compassionate and believe people because that's what we're looking for here in the invisible illness community. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me and highlight this for the Ability Americas Network. I really appreciate this. It's not every day that I get to speak about how invisible illness has impacted me. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today, Rachel. Our hope is that those of you who live with a disability, invisible or chronic illness, feel more seen, heard and supported. And for those of you who may not currently be affected by a condition, we encourage you to be more compassionate and supportive in work settings and in your personal life. You have no idea what people are going through, and we all deserve to be respected. Until next time. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements 
documents and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 